Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today at consumer cellular you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers but for up to half the cost same thing up to half the cost up to half the cost for the same thing 50 percent the money for 100 percent the same thing i hope i'm making myself clear consumer cellular when freedom calls we're here to answer call us at 1-888-FREEDOM half the cost savings based on cost of consumer cellular single line 5 gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023 let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up I'm not a crook are you ready to go shame on shame on you it's Abe Lincoln's top hat Hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. How you doing, Mr. Morningstar? Doesn't it seem like every day, more and more, it, it seems like every day is Halloween. Every Be- day is a fun day. Between we us finding out that Rudy Giuliani is just two Ukrainian children in a trench coat. Very good costume, though, and that explains the weight gain. And then finding out that... Uh, Bill Gates was very close friends with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, that's not a surprise. Were you surprised by that? The, the masks have all begun to, to slip were you, but were you really surprised by the picture of Bill Gates with Jeffrey Epstein? There is like, I think there's like 400 billionaires in the world. It's a small high school. They all hang out. They slap butts. They go to the urinals together, play swords. They do what all the kids do. It's just, look, I, I yes, Bill Gates is clearly... I he's it's no surprise. As but far as billionaires go, I'm going to say he's one of the good ones, though. But he didn't even he didn't even try to say like I was trying to cure Jeffrey Epstein's malaria or anything <laughs> like that. It was just he just said his lifestyle was very different from his own. I do believe that is completely and utterly true. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has actually done quite a bit of good in the world, which is more we can more than we can say about a lot of the billionaires. Roam in the streets today. Before we get into this, we have a lot to get to. We're going to talk about Syria. We're going to talk a bit about uh, some endorsements that have come Mr. Bernie Sanders' way, even after the heart attack. He's still in there. He, we had the Democratic debate yesterday, and they were fighting, and everyone was screaming, and it's like, are we getting any information? And then the crowd said, no, and then they did it for three hours, and they made a bunch of money on ads. Nonetheless, Bernie Sanders, he didn't have a heart attack on stage, so that's really good, and he had a lot of energy, and he stayed on point, so I think that was kind of a, a legitimate test for him in this debate. Biden did try to squeeze him to death at one point, though. I don't know that's if the Biden that. move. Yeah, he, the, he gave him the bear hug. The boa constrictor. Yeah. The boa constrictor of the Senate. That's what Joe Biden's nickname used to be when he was still in the he Senate. He dislocated his jaw, and he just started hovering over Bernie's head. We're going to talk about that, and we'll also discuss... We're not going to talk about that because that didn't happen. Well, that was it's it. not the movie... Anaconda. Uh, Anaconda, yeah. which is, you know, really one of the movies could, that Travis and I bond over you, because that movie... It's pretty good. You could swap out John Voight with Biden, though, just you aesthetically. Could. You could do that. Yeah, really? You probably could do that with, uh, with. I think that you could do that with Bernie as well. I think you could do it with kind of any older 
grumpier, grizzlier white guy. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And also, we are going to get into what is going on uh, regarding the impeachment situation. As I mentioned on the episode, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before, talking about if the House does impeach, will Mitch McConnell even bring this to the floor, even bring this to the Senate floor? And we'll talk about uh, his kind of about face in some ways regarding what he will do if the U.S. House of Representatives passes articles of impeachment. But before we get to all of that, I want to do a little plug. Plug it in, folks. I'm doing a small plug. Oh, yeah. I will be in Politicon. I will be at Politicon and in Politicon. If you thought Comic-Con was, like, nerdy, well, ladies and gentlemen, Move out of the way with your Superman costumes and your Spider-Mans and your Deadpools and your Deadshot costumes because the nerds are coming to town. And that is the political nerds. We'll be wearing, I'll see a lot of khakis, a lot of buttoned, a lot of shirts that should not be tucked in, tucked in. A lot of t-shirts tucked in. A lot of people wearing things that are like, I'm a sovereign citizen. But I do pay taxes because I understand we live in a, in a system where we all kind of have to work together to pave our roads. But I'm a sovereign citizen. At Politicon, uh, Ben is going to be dressed as Dead Duel, which is a Deadpool slash Bob Duel cosplay. I love that. People might actually just confuse me for the real Bob Dole. That's right. So I will be there, and we are doing a screening uh, of Hail Yourself America, which is the documentary that Travis Morningstar helped so much with yeah. filming. Uh, Travis and Irvine and I will be there. We're going to be doing a screening in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not exactly sure yet on where, but it will be on Sunday, so I will keep you up to date. So check out my Instagram, BenKissel1, for that. Should be a cool little time. We'll do that Sunday night. And they'll also be advertising for the film in the Democracy Room. Interesting. Isn't that cool? <laughs> in the democracy room. Where it's, you know, it's nice to have a room for democracy. Yeah, that's where they keep democracy these days. That's where they keep democracy. In a small room from the movie Room. Yes, it is. And it's like um, it's like in Total Recall when you realize that Guado is actually inside of the man's stomach the whole time. So I'm just going to open up the doors to democracy room and it's going to be like, oh, I'm democracy. <laughs> and I'll be like, hello, democracy. It's so great to meet it's you. going to stumble out. Welcome to my Look up at the sun for the first time in years. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I remember when people believed in me. Ben, make them believe again. I love democracy's voice. Yeah, it's a weird voice. But that will be playing in the democracy room. So they're going to be advertising, hail yourself, America, in the democracy room. It's going to be on like a loop or whatever. So I don't know. It's kind of cool. They're fans. So thank you so much for including us. In Politicon and including a little advertisement for Hail Yourself America. If democracy were a roller coaster, your movie should be the thing that plays on the screens while you're waiting in line. Yeah. With the misters and everything. That'll be fun. Um, all right. Also, later on in this episode, I should have said this earlier. My goodness. This is what the hook is. This is what's going to pe keep people. Burying the lead. I'm burying the lead which is something that my guest later on in this episode never does. I'm going to be speaking with journalist Brooke Rogers. She recently wrote an article for the Washington Examiner. Not just an article, a front page article. She was on the cover. They gave her the whole like classic like political cartoony thing that like the Nation and Washington, uh, Washington Examiner use. And she wrote an article on Monica Lewinsky. And it is entitled, Monica Lewinsky gets the last laugh, 
by Brooke Rogers. So we are going to talk about that, what inspired her to write this story about Monica Lewinsky, and just how the media betrayed or portrayed, rather, Monica Lewinsky after the Bill Clinton scandal and how she was really buried and just, you know, her last name was a euphemism for blowjobs yeah. for many, many yeah. years. And she hung in there. She stayed with it. And I think now her story is really encouraging and powerful and a example of perseverance and just someone who was treated like, you know, literal dog shit for many, many years. She was a punchline for many, many years. And now she has persevered and she's helping a lot of people. So I'm going to talk to Brooke Rogers about her article in the Washington Examiner. And if you want to read it, it is entitled Monica Lewinsky Gets the Last Laugh. But before we get to that, let's just start off. Do we want to start with Syria? Okay, this is, I'm going to let you decide this. Uh -huh. Syria, cash shortage hits some Democratic candidates. Mitch McConnell may hold impeachment trial if the Senate pass if the House passes articles or Bernie Sanders endorsements. Which one do you want to do you want to do Bernie Sanders? No, you're deciding, Travis. Why so Syria? Why so Syria? All right, let's get into Syria. Now, as you know, Travis and I have a different opinion on this situation <laughs> and uh, a lot more information has come out. So Donald Trump, he withdrew 50 troops from northern Syria, these troops uh, were protecting the Kurds. The Kurds have been a U.S. ally, specifically in our fight with Iraq and in our fight with Syria. And there's a lot of people in corporate media who are saying that this is a massive mistake. It's a huge blunder. My personal take when it comes to corporate media, they are personally financed by the big military industrial complex. They are personally financed by Northrop Grumman and the like. And let's not forget... Northrop Grumman is a publicly traded company that stocks, by the way, just hit a record high. So well, let's talk, but I want to hear Travis's side and then we'll talk about it. So you're saying, yeah, corporate media, I mean, basically all of the- they wanna, What I'm saying is they want to keep us in war. Uh, sure. All of all of the government, it seems, ex, you know, outside of Rand Paul, uh, seems to agree that this is a mistake just strategically. Um we, you know, if if it seems weird that everyone is saying like let's keep the troops and in, in protecting the Kurds, and it seems hip hypocritical, that's because it is. Um, we've historically betrayed the Kurdish people since like 1920. Um, so this is just a, a series of ways in which we've betrayed the Kurdish people uh, who have not had their own state uh, because it's always been uh, up in the air. So the question is, is this possible that this leads to the Turkish state? Because you are the Kurdish state, rather. Is it possible, obviously, with Erdogan, uh, you know, they're they're uh, encroaching further on the Kurds, although they were encroaching, even though we had the 50 troops there. Uh, but now we have the Kurds already meeting with Assad, already meeting with the Russians uh, to sort of form a different coalition uh, to preserve themselves and preserve their own safety. Well, so I don't think it's going to be the massacre that people are expecting. Well, it's already it's already the way bodies the, are piling up. Bodies, bodies have been piling women up. Women and children are being Bodies have been raised. piling up for 19 years, and when the media wants to keep us in war, they mention a few things well, and then I would like every point, now and again. I would again. like to point out something you just said, the, the 50 or so troops. It is literally, it was like 100 U.S. troops that were, were the stopgap between Turkish and I believe invading. it was 50. It, which is more to my point that yeah. if, you just, if you just need 50 American soldiers present to prevent this sort of destabilizing of a region, I'm not saying that those those u.s soldiers are like fodder for anything but if that is the if that is you saying like we don't need we don't need more war that's 50 
troops that are just present, and the fact that they are present prevents right. uh, Turkey from invading but an the entire thing people. Is, so Turkey was, they were launching their missiles, they were doing these things with the, with, with the 50 troops there. We have a situation where if, let's say the Turkish government kills 10 U.S. troops, the United States would then have to get involved in another ground war in Syria, without a doubt. This is how wars start. They start because uh, an individual isolated incident sparks an entire another 20 years of war in Syria. So then you have to have, you know, 100,000 troops going back there. Now, next thing you know, to oust Assad, for example, uh, next thing you know, what does that sound like? Iraq. We're embattled in another ground war in the Middle East where we will do exactly what we've always done, decimate the region. And when I talk about big funding, it's not just, you know, what they do with ad sales, Northrop Grumman and the whole likes. They have a $11 billion deal that they're on the line for right now with the Pentagon. So they got $11 billion and they're going to be building a lot of our new technologies, I, a lot of our new weapons. They have a contract to, they will be building land-based Minutemen's three intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, they were, of course, manufactured by Boeing. $11 billion, and the total program is valued at $85 to $100 billion. So I think of it when I see MSNBC become the channel of Warhawks, and when I see MSNBC become the channel of, like, Lindsey Graham is right. Lindsey Graham is never right. If you side with Lindsey Graham, if Lindsey Graham is upset about something, whatever he's upset about is the thing that we should be doing. So that is, that's where I'm at when it comes to all of a sudden Lindsey Graham is correct about stuff. The man who is turned his back on his best friend, the man who hasn't seen a war that he didn't want to get involved with. I just think it's because Donald Trump did it very abruptly. And I will concede that point without a doubt. He doesn't do anything right. But when it comes to the actual policy, we cannot go into another ground war in, in the Middle East. I, I, I'm kind of confused why you're, you're digging your heels in so much about this one particular... Because I do not... I have never been for... I'm not pro-foreign intervention unless it's in a humanitarian sense. I just... I believe that we as a nation have destroyed so many parts of the world. It's not our job. We've already, we've already decimated this region. So I think it's possible that if... Uh, the, the Kurds end up working with Syria and Assad, it is possible that they could actually get a home for themselves, that they're not currently even close to getting because the U.S. is there. And we say that we're there as like a force for good. It's an occupation. The United States has occupied the Middle East for 19 years. So that's just the way that I view it. And I just feel the way that the media covers it. We, we have wars going on all over the world. And the media has decided to focus on this, 50 troops, and they say, obviously, uh, it's because, uh, obviously, in the context of, of Putin as well with yeah. Trump, and, and, and you know, Trump uh, for the, basically has been sort of Putin's best friend. Certainly, they are getting along more than Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev, but uh, it is interesting to see the media just totally flip. Well, I, I think your impulse to scoff at the media sounding all the the alarms is correct i think the impulse to, to be weary and incredulous about all this is correct but i also think it's like the the kurdish people are not going to get to state by with the the help of assad the, the, throughout our history with well, the, currently they're already working with assad they've already they, they already made the agreement with they assad. are getting 
they're getting genocided by by Turkish and this is the exact same thing the Republicans said were happening to the Christian Kurds under Obama. Do you remember that when they were all on the hill and all the Christian Kurds were up there and they're like, oh, my God, because Obama's pulling out the troops. Now, all of a sudden, these people are getting killed. War is not pretty. Our involvement over there has led to all of this. But with the with 50 sort of good faith, (laughs) just soldiers in place that is what since 2015 that has managed to avoid deaths the united states military good faith i'm saying the u.s military i'm saying the (laughs) just scary the physical presence is the sort of good faith understanding between all these parties so we have the back end as well approach to it i mean that's that's what somewhat so to freak out the, the kurds will always still have u.s financial backing the Kurds have been armed by the United States. As we saw with Gaddafi in Libya, Libya is destroyed. What are we going to do? You, If we do regime change, everyone pretends, and I want to talk about the financial aspects for Turkey. Everyone always pretends, because we live in a nation where people who are protesting tend to be protesting for the right reason. The Middle East is a whole other place where if you're Assad, people who are protesting against him, and I'm not like Tulsi Gabbard, super pro-Assad here, but I will also argue that Saddam Hussein was a person, a Sunni minority, keeping the Sunnis, the Shiites, and the Kurds at bay. He did. It was horrible. Uday and Kusay were absolutely dreadful. And some of the war crimes that he committed, there's no denying uh, that he committed. But he did stabilize a region full of religious extremists, which is not easy to do. The Middle East is a whole other world. People who were protesting against Assad, yes, there were some great people who had Western ideas that wanted Assad to go, but you also had Muslim religious extremists who thought that Assad was too secular. So it's not as if everyone who is protesting against Assad is there to be like, and now gay people can marry. Mm. It's oftentimes the opposite because there's many people who believe in Syria. Assad is particularly uh, secular and Syria's government is, is particularly secular for the region. It's not a theocracy like Iran. So there's a lot of people who want to see Assad go. That if they get in power, will be much worse. But again, this is disgusting, tricky Middle Eastern politics, which is full of blood. But ultimately, I think the Kurds have always been an underdog, and they got they lucked out by being important to U.S. interests, yes. and that is the reason why, even though they don't have their own state, uh, they are like Big Brother supported and have this sort of um, ambiguously formed organization of of, of citizens but uh i don't feel i'm not a foreign policy expert i don't know what what i'm talking well, about I mean, half the time but i i don't feel too bad about it watching the debates last night because when that question came up they they all sort of had the same they have the same response and these are candidates for president right and their their response was you know it wasn't smart but ultimately i'm not sure what the answer is right i just the debates look they're <laughs> hilarious the but, debates are like so weird to me yeah. the the final question they had in the debates yeah. i swear to god this was the final question i, I know I, and i which was it. what friend do you have <laughs> that would be unexpected that you have differences <laughs> with i'm like what is this do you think pennywise would be a republican or a democrat oh explain my god. your answer it is i want to cry anyway but on the back end of this uh, Donald Trump, he's speaking with Erdogan in the way that Donald Trump speaks, which is, you know, whatever. But he has he has proposed very tough sanctions on the Turkish government. And as we see, money talks. And so if he would do that, I do think that's enough to dissuade the Turkish military 
from getting super aggressive uh, and going in there and genociding the Kurds because we haven't quite seen it yet. And I do believe uh, that Erdogan is a rational actor, even though this world is completely irrational in the Middle East in many ways. And if he gets uh, hit really hard with sanctions uh, and their economy starts going under, at the end of the day, what do they say? We're always three meals away from a revolution or something, three missed meals away from a revolution. The Turkish people could flip on Erdogan, who is already... Not popular. But Trump's hasty, like, okay, now I'm going to throw sanctions on him, really shows you that he fu- he found out through someone that, oh, yeah, this was a bad idea. I think it was literally Donald Trump was like, I have to go on a campaign stop, and I want to be able to say my campaign. I, I, I would be— That's it. I really don't know if that's the case because he doesn't need to do anything. But now he doesn't need to do anything. He doesn't. He could. Just, he literally it knows that he can manufacture lies and people will just gobble it up. So what is the what is the point? What is the point of risking his reputation to make a campaign promise come true? I don't understand. I that. think that this personally, on a for, from a foreign policy perspective, as every single television network, and I'm just focusing on television here because, of course, the newspapers are also doing a very similar thing. When you start seeing a coordinated effort to make sure that we keep troops in the Middle East, and again, these are publicly traded military industrial companies. The military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned against is here. It's so pervasive that even these so-called liberals are now on the side of staying and occupying a foreign country, which is first, I mean, not even to be like, that's unconstitutional because it is, but the constitution, when people say that, it's also like, you know, okay, sure, it is. I mean, this this war, we never voted on a war to go to Syria. We never voted on a war to go against Assad in Syria. We haven't done that. Congress hasn't approved it. So, you know, the fact that everyone everyone in power seems to be upset about it. But I also just want to point out that uh, almost a million dollars, Northrop Grumman game, almost a million dollars in 2020, 46% of those people were Democrats and 54%. Republicans. So I just try to say, I'm just trying to say, when the when it looks like everyone in media is on the same side, they're all run by the same same companies. Um, so I just feel like there's a lot of inf- misinformation out there. I just think it's also an extremely nuanced situation, and yes, that it's is very very compelling images coming out of that area now. But you did see CNN was playing footage from 2016. I mean, like seriously, I don't watch. Pl- I don't watch CNN they, they unless were, I'm I'm sitting at a gate at an airport. Yes, I know. We always get the best entertainment at airports. Yeah, I can't wait. We're going to be flying for, uh, to uh, Florida tomorrow, and so uh, if we're leaving out of JFK, I'm going to. I know. I know the Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm going to. I'm, I, when I'm at JFK, I become a real lemon head. I become a real Don lemon head, and I'm really. I just, know. I'm savoring it. But they literally did something that Alex Jones does, which was play footage from uh, three years ago to say it was happening today, and it's just insane that they do that. And I know it's just a person of a certain age, but the lead up to the Iraq War, I'll just never forget it. The, the I mean, the reason the reason we went in there was a coordinated effort by media and government and the military-industrial complex to go to war and make a bunch of cash. I don't want to give the impression that I'm pro-war. I, no, 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 I, I I'm, know you're not. I'm, and I understand I'm, your point. I mean, I also understand your point. It's It sucks. Everything sucks. When you go to war and destroy a, an entire region, like, the options suck. Yeah, it just you seems know? like, uh, with as with sex, it's like the pull-out method maybe is not, like, the the safest way to do this. Not according to Walter Matthau and Grumpy Old Men. 
That's true. That's that is where I got the. Se- <laughs> that is actually instead of the sex talk, my dad just popped in a VHS of Grumpy Old Men and made me watch it. But let me know your thoughts. Let Travis and I know your thoughts. Email and if you are a military expert, feel free. Uh, shoot us an email. I spoke with a couple of people that I that I know who are slightly more hawkish and in the military, and you know it's just fun having conversations, and it's fun to have disagreements as long as the impact. I want to just say this when it comes to disagreements. I believe that I so my my reason for being fine with the withdrawal is because I actually do believe that this is going to avoid more death and violence because I believe now we're not going to have a troop uh, murdered by the Turkish military, which then forces us to put in 100,000 ground troops, which then causes us treasures and lives. And Travis, I assume that your reasoning is because you also want to see you want to see peace and less people killed. Yes, and I, I really, and I, like again, I don't know foreign policy. I play Advance Wars on Game Boy Advance simulators, That's very good. Uh, but you know, I really do think there is something to be said about this little sort of chess move uh, that Trump thinks he's doing. Four D, four D chess move doing like real damage, like destabilizing an entire region that may have been held together with band-aids, mm-hmm. but those band-aids and that's the, the sticky tack and the bubble gum were necessary in this particular right. current situation. I don't know though. No, I mean, honestly, this, these things are extremely complex, but we disagree because we, but we both want the same outcome, which, which is peace. And that brings me to what I wanted to talk about, uh, about Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. When it comes to Elizabeth Warren, did you see these articles that were sort of dumping on her a little bit? Because uh, she had made a quip about how a man who is against same-sex marriage should, it'll be difficult for him to find a woman. Yeah, right, 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 right. So, just my reaction to this. So, some people were like, she's alienating a lot of people out there. Just because you have a political disagreement doesn't mean that you should turn them back. You, You should turn your back on them. But this is the difference between the conversation that Travis and I just had. And the idea that this would be a disagreement. So there is two options here. Gay people have a constitutional right to get married and they have equal protection under the law. And then the other option is gay people do not have equal protection under the law and not a constitutional amendment to get or constitutional right to get married. Now, one of those, this is not up to discuss. Right. This is not like a disagreement where it's like, oh, but we disagree. It's like, no, you are either for this where gay people can get married. Or you are openly uh, attempting to sideline an entire group of people's constitutional rights. Yeah. So that was one of the areas that just annoyed me when it came to the attacks on Elizabeth Warren. And she's getting them a lot more now. Well, she's becoming the front runner. She really is. And look no further than yesterday's debates to prove that. She did great. You know, she has the look on her face. Have you ever, have you seen someone be really good at Dance Dance Revolution? Uh, not Henry Zabrowski. Not Henry if Zabrowski. you watched the last stream on the left <laughs> yesterday, we played a video of Henry Zabrowski doing Dance Dance Revolution, and his little <laughs> legs literally can't reach the look the on squares. his face. The look on his face looked like somebody was oh. demolishing his childhood home. Oh, but yeah, the, the look on someone's face when they're really in the zone for Dance Dance Revolution—that's right. the same face I saw in Warren last night at the debates. And I she was really in the zone. She yeah. was in the zone, and and she was able to sort of volley uh, a lot of the attacks coming towards her. I think very well, uh, more coherently than Joe Biden did yeah. when he was really the main target. Joe Biden is using a new tactic, which I really like, which is called um, becoming suddenly furious for no reason. Yeah. He'll just like burst out the word vague. <laughs> and then uh, once people are recoiling in terror, then he'll make his point. Yes. I mean, the best thing that could happen to Joe Biden right now is Elizabeth Warren taking the front runner status, because as you noticed in last night's debate, he wasn't 
when he he didn't have as many opportunities to make mistakes. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah. Uh, and so he because he didn't have so much opportunity to make mistakes. I guess it it was not his worst debate performance. Yeah, the vibe that he's giving off is like I'm clearly going to be the next president why are you all hassling he's me? still doing that and that is a horrible vibe to get off or to pull to put off it reminds me of george hw bush te- checking his watch yeah yeah uh, during the bill clinton debate everyone's like oh well, all right you want to get out of here you, you think this is a shoe-in and he's like he's he, you know the debate last night he was murmuring something to warren to the effect of like well you did your job and you you know you you have to do your job that was your job your little job i'm the vice president though like yes he really he really does think he's the bell of the ball and uh with Ugh. with warren yeah i think you're right though with warren becoming the front runner he he'll just have to answer less questions that yep. make, make him seem like a complete uh old man and the attacks on warren are continuing now so because of i just wanted to point that out because some of the people um in writing I read a couple of editorials about this. We're just like, oh, she's going to alienate all men who don't believe in same-sex marriage. And I'm like, you know what? Part of me thinks they're not going to vote for her anyway. And then another part of me thinks I don't really give a shit. (laughs) Because you don't need 100% of the vote. You need 51%. Yeah. And if there's a couple in that 49% that don't believe in constitutional rights for every American... Yeah, they can vote for the other person as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of who gives a shit, uh, one of my the part where I, I, I had a good laugh was when Kamala Harris insisted upon Warren oh my calling God. basically calling the manager of Twitter to get to get Trump taken off Twitter. We talked about this two weeks ago where Joe Biden was trying to get um Giuliani off of TV, <laughs> which Giuliani is the greatest mouthpiece for the Democratic Party ever. Yeah, absolutely. And Kamala Harris wanting to just ban, wanting Twitter to ban, but carving out Trump. a time on a debate stage, like where you don't get much time. You just posted cringe, Kamala. Like you, you uh. are, you are embarrassing yourself. And and again, like Warren in the zone, um, ba- basically didn't pay attention to her question and just sort of sidelined it. It's a stupid it's question a stupid that qu- nobody cares about. She, I could tell, I could tell that Kamala was embarrassed by that. That's just like when you're digging your heels in and it's something embarrassing, and you just, just have to a- keep going with it. Kamala did not look good. She did not. I don't think that Beto looks very good. You know, he's doing the whole gun thing, which, he, he which I don't up- even necessarily <laughs> disagree with the with the intention, but uh, he just doesn't do. I mean, a mandatory buyback situation, but then he also would be like, "But cops aren't going to go door to door." But like that. That, do you they, do they not think like if this policy would be if we would put this policy in place what would that look like they don't think these things out they just say the sentence mandatory buyback and they don't think what does that look like in reality that is what it bothers me so much well that's I mean that was a big whatever kerfuffle on the stage too was people basically pointing at each other and being like what do you mean by that like how do you do that it's and it's but, but again, the, the the debate stage is no place for actual like discourse. No, sadly so it not. is it is a bunch of like who can who can say the right like snap who, who can gets snap the zingers. Off? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, speaking of the Democrats here, two thirds. Let's talk a little bit about funding. Obviously, as the world turns, it is it is funded. Uh, all these campaigns need a mass amount of money to run, and uh, two thirds of the Democratic presidential candidates spent more than they raised in the past three months. Among the candidates in the red coming out of the third quarter was Joe Biden, 
who ended September with less than half of the cash in hand. Uh, that is nine million dollars, by the way. Well, here's a fun here's a fun statistic about Biden's campaign money. Uh, <laughs> Joe Biden bleeding cash spent nearly one million dollars on private jets. Uh, uh, per the XVP's FEC data, roughly one out of every sixteen dollars raised by the campaign has been spent on private jets. He's got to be comfortable. <laughs> he's got to be comfortable. And he, there's like hundreds of thousands of dollars spent at like the ritziest hotels and stuff. Of course. So, uh, so Joe Biden, he is not bringing in as much as he is spending, which also does look bad when it comes to the president of the United States. You want to be seen. Basically, a campaign is also an example of how you lead, how you govern, how you take care of business. And this is a bad look for a candidate to be bringing in less money than they're spending. That's kind of how you get a deficit. Um, so uh, this is just a bad look for Joe Biden. And currently, the leaders of the pack as a whole are Bernie Sanders with $33 million, Elizabeth Warren with $25 million, Buttigieg with $23 million. I mean, honestly, Buttigieg isn't going anywhere. If he's got $23 million, he's not polling that high, but he he continues to get a lot of support financially. But unfortunately, those are not small donors. Those are like um, corporate corporate donations, essentially. Yeah, there's many corporate donations uh, going to Buttigieg. Uh, Harris has $10.5 million on hand, followed by Biden, and no other Democrat has more than $7 million. And if you do subscribe to uh, you know the Betos of the world and the Yang Gang, if you get their emails, uh, it is... Sad. Some some of the emails are sad. It's like, That's all I'm going to say. It's almost over for me. Please send help. Although Andrew is still, he's up there. I think this was his strongest debate performance yet. I really do. And if you want to listen to Andrew Yang, we had him on, what, three months ago or something. So check that out. We had, well, that was, like, that was like almost a year ago. Was that a year ago? Yeah. How old are we? That was like a year ago. We were, yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. That's crazy. Um. All right. Well, speaking of Bernie Sanders... Let's talk about a few endorsements that he picked up. Travis wasn't so surprised, but I was a little bit surprised by some of these. No, AOC uh, volunteered for his campaign in 2016, yeah. and, and she's always she herself is a democratic socialist. It doesn't yeah. surprise me at all that uh, okay. that she is on the Bernie train. I thought she might be kind of getting sucked up by Warren, but maybe not. I guess no, not. She's, I think, yeah, the defiant streak is keeping her with... Because Bernie doesn't seem like a sure bet whatsoever, but he is... The, he's the one person that I think will will be like an actual different administration than the status quo, right? And I think I think that's the that's the signaling there. It's like we we have to we have to use this moment of momentum to to endorse someone like Bernie Sanders as opposed to uh, sort of not a sure thing like Elizabeth Warren. All right, and then we also had Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar. Uh, also supported Bernie Sanders. So he got a lot of support from people who get a lot of press, such as the uh, those three gals. I believe they're known as the squad. Which yeah, I, which Ilan I don't Omar, know. AOC. Yes. All right, and lastly, before we bring in a journalist and just a wonderful person, Brooke Rogers, let's talk a little bit about Ukraine and next and the Ukraine scandal, impeachment in the context of impeachment and those sorts of things. Uh, next week, uh, we'll go into more detail as more details come out uh, because, you know, we got to wait until there's actual information. We can't just be spitting, spitting random opinions up here. Um, so it seems as if the strategy going forward from Donald Trump is to sort of 
throw certain people under the bus. Oh yeah, just just today in Italy, Trump is is making a clear case that yes, I know Rudy Giuliani. Yes, he is a he was a fantastic lawyer of mine. Um, but but boy howdy, was he really interested in this Ukraine thing? And I could not. He was like a runaway train. Right. Uh, and he yeah. Th- so there's this very clear like I'm not gonna not say th- I'm not gonna deny knowing Giuliani, but man, he, like a like a stepdad in the in a garage with a train set, a model train set. This guy was just like really really into this this Ukraine thing, and I could not stop him from uh from just really living his life. And it also looks like he's gonna be throwing current White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney under the bus. Also, we've heard Rick Perry's name is in the news. You know, it's it's nice to have him back. Uh, he is part of what's being named the Three Amigos, which I hate. <laughs> I hate the squad. I hate the Three Amigos. This isn't like, uh, whatever. It's not, a, it's not a comic book. These reboots are getting out of hand. A little bit. And those people are Gordon Sunland. He is the ambassador to uh, European Union. Kurt Volker, of course, he's the one with all the uh, text message exchanges. Uh, and, of course, he was then envoy to Ukraine. And, of course, we have Energy Secretary Rick Perry. So the more information that comes out, we'll keep you up to date. It's hard to know what's true and what's not true because the Democrats, Adam Schiff is keeping a very, very uh, locked door. He makes everyone be very tight-lipped. As a matter of fact, he threatened fellow Democrats uh, to not speak to the public, to not speak to the media. He's been very, very strict about keeping the closed-door hearings regarding uh, the impeachment inquiry Uh, Just that, behind closed doors. So we will give you more information on what's going on with the Ukraine scandal and with the impeachment proceedings on next week's episode. But now let's get to our guest. She is a journalist. Her most recent article was in the Washington Examiner, and it is entitled, Monica Lewinsky Gets the Last Laugh. Brooke Rogers is with us. Thanks for having me, Ben. Brooke, I have messed up the name of your podcast many, many times. Can I but just you know say what? It? No, it's exceedingly <laughs> persuasive. You got it. Yay! Woo! Exceedingly persuasive. I kept on saying it wrong and I don't even know why. But check out Brooke's uh, podcast. It's with her, Mackenzie Brennan. It is awesome. And uh, I think you'll love that podcast. So, Brooke, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, we were talking a bit about the article that you wrote about mm-hmm. the one and only Monica Lewinsky. This was in the, the Washington girl. Examiner. Uh, congratulations, number one, on getting on the cover. Yeah. That is, like, unreal. And you are just absolutely crushing it. Thanks. I got my own caricature. That, mean, that means I got a Monica caricature on the front, which yeah. is just a life goal for me. So yeah. It was absolutely awesome. So in this uh, incredible article, and again, if you want to go read it, it is entitled Monica Lewinsky Gets the Last Laugh. Check it out. Uh, in this article... Uh, well, first of all, tell me, why did you want to write about Monica Lewinsky? Uh, obviously, you're you're younger. You know, it didn't happen. The Clinton scandal was happening, I think, when you were like two years old or something. Mm. So why did you want to talk about Monica Lewinsky? And um, what did you figure out or what was, what inspired you about her story? I think that one of the main things about Monica is that um, women who are my age have always sort of seen her as a, I don't want to say a feminist icon because that sounds so cliche, but just a woman who overcame a lot of adversity um, with a lot of odds against her and changed her own narrative. And again, I'm going to try to avoid any more cliches. No, no, yeah, you can use as many cliches as possible. (laughs) But she, she did, she did really take control over what was happening to her and it was a really long, hard process. And 
there were two things happening. First of all, in uh, in 2015, um, with the you know the, with the very toxic political conversation that was happening, mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton was running for president. And we had been seeing a lot of what is now called cancel culture or online public shaming or the outrage machine, all those kind of terms that we now know what they are. At the time, it was still kind of new um, as a phenomenon. And so she started coming out in 2015 and talking about how public shame had affected her life and how if you ruin someone's reputation dismissively, and sort of don't take their humanity into account, it can destroy the rest of their life. And right. for us, it's a it's a it's a blip on the radar. It's one or two days of this person that we're kind of you know mocking or criticizing. And for them, it's it, it's the rest of their life. Right. Um. Right. There's this tweet and I can't remember who it's by. Uh, I think it's called I think it's at Maple Cocaine on oh. Twitter. Huh. Uh. But the tweet is every every day. On Twitter, there's one main character, and the goal is to never be that main character. And it's so true. There's just the the way that our society kind of laser focuses on people who may have made a mistake um, and and rips them apart is becoming it's becoming so commonplace that we kind of forget that it happens. And so she started. And you forget that they're people. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that she was the first person to experience that in 1998 when the her affair with bill clinton became public the first site to run it was drudge and okay. drudge report now we kind of all know the name it's it's a right-wing organization um but they were the first sort of online forum uh that was completely online and this was when the internet was brand new brand new yep and it actually there was um there was a re- reporter who was working for i believe the washington post but i'll have to double check that there was a reporter who was working for the Washington Post and had actually been following the story for a long time. For about two years, he had been talking with Linda Tripp mm-hmm. and uh, other sources, and she, and like, because Linda Tripp kind of was kind of whispering about this to him and other people for a while. And the it, there was a, there was an issue that was about to come out with his story about Mon- about the affair about Monica Lewinsky right. and everything that had happened. And the night before the issue was supposed to run, they yanked it. And so then Linda Tripp took this and Luce, uh, Lucianne Goldberg, who was mm-hmm. a literary agent at the time, took the story to Drudge Report. And suddenly everything was on the Internet. The entire story was on the Internet. And now this had Linda Tripp, of course, for those that don't remember, maybe you might might remember her being lampooned by by John Goodman on Saturday Night Live. Those are the good days of uh, SNL, I guess. Um, but she was the one who had all the secret recordings, yeah. and she kind of befe- befriended Monica, correct? She had worked in the Pentagon with Monica right. in 1993, and slowly, as like after Monica told her about it, she started recording the conversations, and then she took it to the special counsel, Ken Starr, the special counsel, right. and the media as well. And then he wrote his uh, Fifty Shades of Grey version of a Senate report, right? Or yeah. of a... Uh, of a uh, what do you call it? the 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 Ken Starr report? The Ken Starr. So report, yeah. Monica Lewinsky, not only was she betrayed in her mind, I, well, I don't even know if she felt betrayed in her mind. Maybe you can tell me about that. But she was definitely betrayed immediately by Linda Tripp, who was mm-hmm. someone who was like, "I'm a friend, I'm an ally," and then boom, she's the one who drops this story. That must have been so like disheartening, mm-hmm. and you must lose so much faith in humanity when one of what you think is a friend, they've been. Using you not just for a, a day or not just for a month, but for multiple years, 
just this the entire friendship was a lie yeah absolutely and she and, and again just to, talk, to go back to the fact that she was so young she was 22 when the affair started right. she was 23 and you know maybe not in the grand scheme of things but in in when it, when you look at the situation that was happening to her at the time she was having an affair with the president of the united states she's under all of this pressure right. she was afraid of going to jail and she was terrified of this coming out and then she finds out that a friend of hers this was when she, this was a couple years later when she was 22 24 but it's she f- finds out that a friend of hers who she had met at the pentagon who had seemed like a confidant to her who right. was the only person she felt like she could trust um just at, they were at a she said they were at a mall and suddenly linda kind of ba- basically said it's over and she with it and two agents took her to a hotel that was in the mall and started interrogating her and like that was that was when she like it kind of all came over her she's like oh my this oh is my happening. god so Lin- this happened in a food court yes yeah by a one potato two potato <laughs> That's horrible. So Linda Tripp literally was like, it's over. And Monica's like, what? The dinner? Because you still have a lot of food to eat. And I know you're going to finish it. And then she's like, no, our friendship and your life? Basically, they the well, she tried to convince Monica that this was a good thing that was happening, that she should go talk to these agents. And then they and then she said, like, the rest of it was sort of a hazy, like, oh I think it was like God. eight-hour interrogation. Uh, but all, all this, by the way, I should cite my sources on this. Uh, if you watch, there's a six-hour A&E documentary called The Clinton Affair. And it is on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it. It is mm-hmm. very good because it talks to – it lets Monica tell her own story, but it also talks to the agents who were involved in the interrogation. It talks to Ken Starr. It talks to Lucianne Goldberg. And so it's getting kind of everyone's point of view. So check that out if you want, if you want more details. Absolutely. And you have a great quote just uh, starting off the article. Uh, one of your fir- first quotes from Monica is uh, she says, I am probably the only person over 40 who does not want to be 22 again. Yeah, that Which was... Which makes a lot of sense. In reference to, she was at the Forbes 30 Over 30 event. She was speaking, and that was actually one of her first uh, public speaking engagements. Because uh, she kind of she kind of went black for about 20 years. But So she started talking again, goes to this Forbes 30, 30 Under 30 event. And this, I think, 26-year-old guy starts hitting on her. Um, which I get it. Like, Monica Lewinsky. Attractive lady, cool sure. gal. And... The line he used on her was, I can make you feel 22 again. And ah. she was like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Are you wearing a wire? Because that would make <laughs> me feel 22 again. So she's getting interrogated. Everything is falling apart around her. Mm-hmm. And Bill Clinton uh, is still in office. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit of like, how did she? Because And then, of course, so-called liberal media, which we were just talking about. Uh, the Syria troop withdrawal. Can we trust the liberal media? But we're not having that conversation again, Brooke. I can, yeah, do you can... want to yell about the Kurds for the next 20 minutes? Well, Is that we what could. we want to do? We already did it for 20, but we can do that more. <laughs> um, but so-called liberal media threw her under the bus. Mm-hmm. And they were like the first ones to be like, oh, wow, I guess a tramp is in the White House. Yeah. Meanwhile, Bill Clinton is a very powerful man. Yep. Some would argue the most powerful in the world. And he has, I want I just the the lack of scruples to go and have an affair with a 22-year-old intern. I mean, there isn't yeah. much more of a power difference than president-intern, right? No, absolutely. And so the media just ran with the narrative, though, that, oh, she's a tramp. She broke up the couple. She's the yeah. one who broke up the couple, not the fact that Hillary and Bill, God knows what that wedding agreement <laughs> is or that marriage agreement. Who knows? But can you just speak a little bit to, she had no defenders. 
Because no, then people people yeah. on the right were also because they're a Puritan bunch as well. Yeah, we're like, oh, she oh, did break up a family. They were gleeful. They were they, they were it. so happy that this happened to Bill Clinton. Right. So they, they were so glad yeah. that the Ken Starr report had all of these very salacious details about like wh- where he went down on her and like it was. It's like it got down to like the exact Why did Ken sex Star- acts they did. Exactly. And you know this guy was getting hard the whole time writing. I mean, it's just disgusting. The cigar stuff. I mean, he, again, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, Lewinsky was a euphemism for blowjobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that the right, the way the left did her is one thing. And then the yeah. way the right did her was also just humiliating. Yeah. So let's break this down into two parts. You brought yeah. up the liberal media, and right. I do want to talk about that. So what is really funny to me is that as soon as this came out, the Democrats circled the wagons around Bill Clinton because, A, they already knew what kind of man Bill Clinton was th- yes. before this had happened. The Paula Jones case was, go- yes. was ongoing. Um, Kathleen Wiley think- had come out and, and explained the, how, the situation where he allegedly groped her in his office. Right. So this people knew what, who he was. Do you think, and I'm sorry, just because uh, I wanted you, uh, want you to get back to that, but in today's era, right, Bill Clinton's not elected. Or do you, I mean, I guess we have Trump in there. So perhaps it really wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. But I remember those stories when I was yeah. a kid. But my parents were evangelical Christians. And I know your parents were very religious. Mm-hmm. And so they were very Republican. And it was to the point where my parents were like, oh, you don't even need to know about that. It was like a scandal. So you didn't were... even get to like get the like excitement of hearing about like presidential affairs because your parents were like, no, you can't have You this. can't hear it. I wasn't allowed to watch news. I mean, it was like too pornographic. <laughs> no, I, it was very pornographic. I mean, yeah, it was very detailed. But... I so sorry. What was your question? So basically, I mean, I or guess do you think someone could be elected and but then again, I just I answered yeah. my own question. Um, no, it, it's whatever but it would have been a bigger story, party. I guess, is what I was trying to say. I mean, again, we have a president in office who's been credibly accused of sexual assault. So All right, never mind. I Continue on so. with the left media. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the yeah, so the liberal media at the time, um, the 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 stance they took was, oh, poor. Peter Pan Bill, he's just boyish. He's got that boyish charm. Right. And he's just, he's, you know, he's a little too fun for his own good. And the, uh, so Bill Maher actually, who at the time he had, a, the, he now has the Bill Maher show, or I don't even know what it's called. I but think that's about right. Yeah. Before it was uh, politically incorrect. Right. And there's this clip where he's talking about Monica Lewinsky and he says, I think Monica should be the one who was apologizing. She's the homewrecker. She's the one who blackmailed the president. And it's you know there was no there was no she's twenty two years old yeah that she is that he is so he was forty nine when the affair started so okay. there's about a, a little under a thirty year age gap so she's twenty she's twenty two years old she's his intern he's the president of the United States he's married so all of the culpa the culpability the moral culpability mm-hmm. should not fall on her it should mostly fall on him yes, yes. and she will even say this she said many times there, there's there was no situation in which I wasn't at least somewhat culpable, and she's apologized many times. But right. he, it, he was the one who had the authority in that re- in that relationship and in that in that situation. Absolutely. And when we talk about uh, systemic sexism, uh, which I do believe absolutely exists, and we're talking about it now as a culture, but this is one thing that is really interesting. I mentioned this on Fox News. Oh my goodness, probably three years ago or something. But the same intern class. Do you know who's in the same intern class as Monica Lewinsky? No. Huma Abedin. She was yeah. in the exact same intern class, and Huma went to work with Hillary, and Monica went to work with Bill. Yeah. And so you do wonder if Huma and Monica switch places, 
is Monica Lewinsky just the right hand chick mm-hmm. to a presidential nominee? Yeah. And is Huma Abedin the the euphemism for a blowjob? Like it is so crazy to think like what two different paths you we get a perfect example of systemic sexism in mm-hmm. in this case in government when you see the two different careers and of course Huma ended up making a small mistake in her selection I of men, but that's a whole point, other thing. I think maybe Huma would trade places knowing maybe how they now. both ended maybe up. Maybe now. Because Huma <laughs> Abedin is like trying to get Anthony Weiner to get his stuff out of her apartment oh because he gosh. won't stop sexting 15-year-olds. And Monica Lewinsky is like on John Oliver. So Yeah, that's they, true. Maybe you know it all what? worked out. <laughs> I think yeah, I think Monica's doing better now, but she did have to go through hell to get there. But yes, absolutely. To, but I but that, I, th- I just find that to be kind of fascinating. Yeah, to think. absolutely. And I think that people, and that's I think what's so tragic is that people did paint her as a bimbo. She was stupid. She was a tramp. Right. She was slutty. They use those terms because they wanted to make everyone hate her and everyone protect the president. Right. And so she became the so for the for the left wing media for the liberal media, she was a, the bad guy. And for the right-wing media, they didn't care about her. She was a means to an end. Right. So it is kind of funny because people forget she studied psych and law. And she was, she got an internship at the White House at, the, at 22. She yeah. got a Pentagon job a year later without before before she had the affair with, with Bill Clinton. Right. She was transferred to the Pentagon. So it is this sort of – well, she wasn't tra- – sorry. She got the job and then started the affair and then was transferred. But okay. she, she got the job on her own merits before the affair started. So – this was a 22-year-old who was incredibly competent, incredibly smart, but just very naive. And that's, I think, what's so tragic is that her whole life was derailed and she was painted as stupid, even though she was incredibly intelligent. Obviously. Absolutely. So then, so the right-wing media, they they don't give a crap. They think it's hilarious and they want to paint her as a bimbo as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe they add a little bit more blame to Bill Clinton. Yeah. The left-wing media, they they don't uh, like her whatsoever. As a matter of fact, they might hate her more mm-hmm. than the right-wing media, and they try to protect Bill Clinton. But both both sides are coming after her. So now what does she do at 23, 24 years old in Washington, D.C.? She's being made fun of by Jay Leno on, on a nightly basis and people like Bill Maher. What does she do from there? So at first she tried – I think she tried to sell – so at, at first she – how she describes it is this – alternate version of herself had been created that was a like she she was a private person up until 1998 and then she, her life was very public and she thought it's inevitable now i can never go back i have to lean in so there was a time when she was like doing interviews and she tried to sell her own handbag line and it was kind of all just like grasping at whatever she could right. get and then she realized that wasn't going to fulfill her or make her happy so she went to the london school of economics and she started pursuing her graduate degree And that was when she started talking about how at that time she started – it was actually much worse than it was in 1998 because in 1998, so much is happening. It's – you're terrified, but you're busy. And she said said later on when she was at grad school, it was just quiet. Her friends were all moving on with their lives. Her friends were all getting married and having kids, and they were allowed to live their own life. And she – just was stuck in 1998 and on top of that she's trying to succeed in grad school and she has all of this ptsd from being called a a, you know being called dumb being called a bimbo being called a slut for years and it's still going on she can't walk outside without someone taking a picture of her and then they're commenting on her weight and they're commenting on how she looks and she can't get away from it now and i think that so so she she didn't end up graduating and actually when i was doing the research for this 
she graduates um, with a degree in, I believe, social psychology. And there was a um, an opinion piece at Slate that ripped her apart. Really? And in it, it said, I guess that Monica is smart, dumb, just like Bill Clinton is dumb, smart. And it just stuck with me because it was a female writer, first of all, in a, right. in a liberal publication that basically wrote a whole piece mocking her after she got her degree because it's like oh look little monica she's like good for more than whatever you know it was it was so degrading and it's so crazy to look back at that now and that was in like the early 2000s right so i think actually i think like maybe 2007 so this was wow. like so this was this was a time when like we should have known better then right and yet we're still writing these pieces about de degrading monica Lewinsky for this right and you mentioned here in the article just a little bit later on how in June of 2018, Bill Clinton claimed he wouldn't have done anything differently, uh, even if this occurred in the in the Me, Me Too era and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I really do have to say I don't think that that's true. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just say this. I personally, I believe that Bill Clinton is a sexual predator. So I don't think he has. I mean, there are, there are multiple credible accusations against him. I don't think he has the ability to, especially now, look back at his uh, what he did and say I was in the wrong I don't think he has a conscience for that at this point and you know I, I he he says like so the, the it was really kind of funny because to have the gumption to he wrote a book with James Patterson called I don't even remember what it was called it was a it was a political thriller okay and they went on book tour at the height of the me too movement and just to have like the gumption like i don't even know what to call it like just to do that when you understand how that's gonna tilt every interview and then he was horrified when they brought monica Lewinsky up he still wouldn't talk about it and he was like obviously very offended that they would bring it up so i don't think he sees anything he did as wrong right. um he's multiple times said that he has never apologized to her in private i think he's apologized publicly once meanwhile she's expected to like self-flagellate every time she goes out in public so it's i just don't think he sees it as as him doing anything wrong so what was I mean, obviously, I think with Hillary Clinton running in 2016, it brought Monica right back into the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Was that another did you get the sense for her that was another like, oh, my God, 1998 all over again or because she was a little older, a little wiser, definitely more scarred and, mm -hmm. and, and battle tested? Do you think she was happy to tell her story for the first time in a, in a different era, in a different time? I think. I think so. I think that actually it's it's sort of different. So in 2008, um, I think that she probably felt the first thing you were describing, which is this is happening again. So in 2008, right. she was looking for jobs and she actually said in a Vanity Fair piece, I think it was published, I want to say 2014. Uh, she was talking about how she was looking for a job and the interviewer was basically said, like, you're a great girl. I think that you would be great for the company. But we basically need the Clintons to sign off on this because we don't want to get in like. Hillary Clinton might be president. We don't want to get in trouble for hiring you. And so, so it would go that far. It mm -hmm. was that systemic. It was that power. She was going against the most powerful people, the most powerful couple in the world. Yeah, absolutely. For, for almost 30 years. In and this she country. didn't get the job because she couldn't get the letter. She wasn't going to go ask them for the letter. So she ended up not getting the job. So it was affecting her in 2008. And then I think in 2015. Do you think that Hillary was more upset with them getting caught? Because uh, together and the political fallout, as opposed to the whole, like, I can't believe my husband cheated on me because oh I don't know. It seems like they have a 
I think they both sort of have a revolving door on their bedroom, which is as long as everything is consensual, whatever, however you want to make your marriage, you have your marriage, uh, but don't destroy a young girl's life, please. Yeah. Um, do you think that that she was just more upset with the political fallout and that's why she was like, Monica, you're you're dead to me um, because it just that dynamic has always been so strange. Uh, I think that she knew that. Yeah, Bill Clinton was. I mean, again, she went out after the Paula Jones situation. Then when Paula Jones first came out and she sat by Bill and said, you know, Bill's made mistakes in our marriage, but I forgive him and, you know, all these things. And right. I, I do sort of see her as. I mean, it was her choice to stay, but I, I'm very like reticent to put any blame on her. I think she was kind of she was definitely a victim in this situ in these situations like she did not. Unless it was an open relationship, which I don't obviously I can't speak to someone else's marriage, but I, I think that she kind of realized that this was the price of being married to Bill Clinton. And mm. I think that it was I think it's more of a from the outside looking in, it seems like it's it's more of like a, a partnership. Right. You know, and so I don't think she may have been upset about the infidelity, but I think she was much more upset about it, it becoming public because now she's like, I have to go out again. And do this whole thing and be the perfect little wife. And it's actually funny because we saw this re replay again with Huma Abedin and Anthony Weiner. And I remember yeah. that documentary. Weiner. Do you remember Weiner. the- Weiner. Yeah, of course I remember, I remember Weiner. I, we, I, uh, I forced you to watch it, I think, 30 times because that was my get drunk and laugh at humanity. We watched it many times. <laughs> but there was this scene that we both just were completely silent during it. Oh, my God. It's after... So he had... After he, the second time. Yeah. After the second sexting or whatever. quote-unquote repaired their marriage, and that was all fixed. And then, then while they're filming this documentary, while he's running for mayor again, it comes out that oh he God. was sexting... I think that was Sydney Leathers. That might yeah? have been Sydney Leathers, yeah. And there's this scene where she had just been phone banking, calling her rich friends for him. That is... I mean, <laughs> honestly, it was so disgusting because... <laughs> It was at one point Anthony Weiner was like, "Uh, yeah, we're just gonna need you to call. Here's the list. We just gotta call your friends." We, and so she had all the connections. So she just stared he, at him oh with God, this landline so in her hand. It was with, so bad. She was it, like throwing daggers with her eyes. Doesn't even really cover it. She was willing no, him was to die in front of her. Yes. And then there's so there's a scene where they're standing they're standing together and it goes completely quiet, and she's just staring at him. And I can tell she's thinking. What life choices did I make to get myself here in this room with this man and this film crew? And then she just looks at the film crew and goes, can we have a minute, please? And they're just chilling. And I'm like, it's kind of funny because it's like a parallel thing. That's what Hillary was probably going through every time Bill Clinton got involved in one of these sex scandals where she just like, how does this keep happening to you? How right. do you keep not even happening to you? How do you keep making this happen? I don't know. What choices are you making? Yeah, if you haven't seen the documentary Wiener, you have to check it out. It's uh, it also shows the charisma of Anthony Wiener during parts as yeah. well. You know, because you start really, out liking him, was, you're like, yeah, oh, he really made good. a mistake, and and then obviously toward the end, you're um, just like, man, that is the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. Just a lot of potential gone to waste for for sexting and it's just ridiculous he's like ridiculous anyway I don't, I don't get it um so the piece of, with monica uh what was one of the takeaways that you want the audience uh not just young girls but young anyone going through anything yeah. because as you were mentioning earlier cancel culture i've been canceled mm -hmm. on facebook but i got rid of facebook so it, you know what's nice Doesn't i don't even matter. see it there's actually uh, a website called i think it's called like are you canceled or something and you can look up 
whatever social media you want and see if you're canceled. And I found out that I have been canceled, which is kind of freeing. I don't know why I was canceled, but now in a post-canceled world, I can never be canceled again. So I'm You free. were canceled. You can't I'm double free. stamp a triple stamp. No, exactly. Okay. So I'm awesome. fine. But uh, so the takeaway for yeah. me was. Because I know there's so many kids now. I yeah. still remember Star Wars Kid. Uh, that was a video where a chubby kid broke into the school, or he wasn't—he didn't break into the uh, the school, but he was part of the AV club, and he was caught playing Star Wars and jumping around, and then it went viral. He was one of the first viral sensations, and it was this—it devastated his life. And I know kids are going through that on a regular basis. Young people are going through that on a regular basis, and that's why suicide rates are up. Uh, that's why depression rates are through the freaking roof. Um, so. In this world now, what can we learn? What can people learn from Monica's perseverance? And not that she had it easy, because as you said, when you said 20 years dark, uh, I mean, I would assume those were very hard 20 years. I mean, I know that you mentioned PTSD after dealing with. Yeah, that's so she was a, a lot of therapy. She said she went through a lot of therapy and she kind of built herself back up. But the I think the two things that I I took away from this is one. You never know what someone's going through, so try not to pile on. Calling people out or saying, like, here's how you can do better at certain things is one thing. But also, I think that maybe should be left to the people closest to that person or people who are directly affected by it and less by, you know, a huge percentage of people piling on. Because doesn't very often go well you know the, the huge internet pylons we see, they don't actually serve to do much. Right. Um. So I think that there are ways to constructively criticize. And I don't think that the internet outrage machine really is really like functional in that way. Hey, all right. Travis Morningstar just looked. Uh, I am canceled. There we go. Ben Kissel. Sorry, Ben, ben Kissel is canceled. That is micanceled.com. That's great. That's so cool. Welcome to freedom, man. Welcome to the other side. Ben Kissel is canceled. Woo! Cheers, cheers. It feels really canceled. nice, actually. I know, it's like, yeah. it's free. And I'm just like, I can, well, okay, I'm done now. All right, yeah. Um, but, so, I think that the one thing is just, like, remember people's humanity. People make mistakes. There are ways, again, there are ways to, to criticize people in a way that's constructive. And just keep in mind the fact that you make mistakes, I make mistakes, we all do. So, right. just remember those people's humanity. And then the second thing is, um, just what stuck with me most about Monica's story is how incredibly gracious she is now. Right. And if you watch her, there's this amazing interview with John Oliver. You should go watch it. He actually apologized for uh, taking. He was like a, he kind of contributed in a very small way to uh, the pylon, like a ten years after mm-hmm. um, in, on the anniversary. And so he apologized to her on TV and talked about how horrible, you know, because it was Conan O'Brien, it was Jay Leno, it was Bill Maher, it was everybody. Every late night comedian was David Letterman, and just making really disgusting jokes about her every in every night so i think that that was she he brought her on and she was just so she talks about how hard it is for her to think of herself in a positive way but she's doing it like her her appearance and stuff she's very sensitive about all that right. stuff but she also just the way that she comes across in her ted talks in her interviews she is so gracious she is so non-cynical she's so unhardened by all of this she's very very compassionate person and i think that's what stuck with me most is that you don't have to let terrible experiences turn you into a cynical jaded person you can take that and actually become better and that's what i've seen monica Lindsay do and that's why i love her so much i'm just not even going to try to be (laughs) i think that she is actually a really good role model for people 
on how you go through adversity and come out better. So right. that's the two things I took from it. Yeah, this quote is really powerful. She said this in 2015. She said, the darkness, cyberbullying, and, and slut-shaming I experienced had mushroomed every day online. People, especially young people who are not developmentally equipped to handle this, are so abused and humiliated that they can't imagine living to the next day. And, this, and some tragically don't. And there's nothing virtual about that mm -hmm. and i think that that her message hopefully can save some lives she gave a ted talk uh in 2015 as well it got 9.3 million views on youtube so go check out uh monica Lewinsky's ted talk and um yeah i guess is there anything else you wanted to share monica Lewinsky jokes are lame stop making them when yeah. i when i published this on my twitter i got so many terrible monica Lewinsky jokes from people and i was like it's been done before and it was bad then <laughs> stop right. doing it no it was um, funny when jay leno did it yeah that was the height of comedy that was right. really that was really deep brooke rogers where can people find you i am at bke rogers on twitter i am at brooke angeline on instagram exceedingly um, persuasive is the podcast yep we're on apple and Spotify and SoundCloud and pretty much wherever you get your your podcast. It's a political podcast. We talk about law and the news of the day and all that fun stuff. So Mackenzie Brennan is wonderful. Brooke Rogers, uh, exceedingly persuasive. Check out that podcast. It's like a great time. And if you want to read her article again, it is on the WashingtonExaminer.com. Monica Lewinsky gets uh, the last laugh. And if you uh, want to purchase the, Mon uh, the Washington Examiner, it's, uh, it's on the cover. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't really cool. even gotten my hard copy yet, so get in line. I'm kidding now, but I don't. You can buy it somewhere, I'm sure. But yeah, it's online, so just go online. <laughs> all right, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We will see you at Politicon October 26th and 27th. It'll be very exciting. Okay, everyone, hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 